This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. We've been doing a, a series called Mottos and Mantras, looking at some of the um, mottos that, that people have, have uh, kind of lived their lives by. You know, my dad used to have one. Every time I'd start complaining, he'd say, when the going gets tough, tough get going, yeah. Always loved hearing that. <laughs> that basically meant, oh, you're not gonna help me out. Okay, great. Um, so we asked the church to, to send in some, and uh, I, I, thought, I thought, I must have over 100 here. I thought a favorite would show up. There wasn't one. I was really surprised, just a lot of different ones. I thought I'd read some of them to you. I won't read all 100. If you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way. Well, that's good. This lady said, lately I keep saying it over and over again. This too will pass. I agree with that. I thought this was good. Spread kindness like glitter. It gets on everything. <laughs> work the problem. Don't let the problem work you. This is the one that actually showed up a couple of times. If you can't say something nice, where'd that come from? Thumper, that's right. That's the, Google it. <laughs> Steve Wynn was my guy who, who gave, gave us the most, but he said, here's his deep thought, a donut with no hole is a Danish. When you embark on a journey of revenge, one must start by digging two graves. Yeah, that's what the first heard. Everyone went, hmm. <laughs> Some mornings I say, good morning, Lord. Others I say, good Lord, morning. <laughs> this one was a, a person, is becoming a personal motto for me. If I pass you on the right side, you're in the wrong lane. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Focus equals impact. That's just a good one. Early bird gets the worm. Second mouse gets the cheese. <laughs> Joy did the same thing. And she's like, oh, yeah. Um, this, this one I thought was a really good one. If you stumble, make it part of the dance. Don't put the key to your happiness in someone else's pocket. And while you're at it, don't put anything else in someone else's pocket. Um, not everything that shines is gold. They put in parentheses, sounds better in Spanish. Hakuna, Hakuna Matata. Lion King, no worries. You can't change the wind, but you can adjust your sails. Had a guy from the UK wrote this one, keep calm and carry on. That was the, uh, that was the, the British uh, the UK slogan during World War II. Keep calm and carry on. It's a good one for us. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> I, I love the delay reactions on there. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're okay. The grass is greener where you water it. Just because you hear it doesn't make it true or worth repeating. Can I get an amen on that? Oh boy, not the truth. And then here, here was my, my favorite of all of them. This is from Jennifer Keller. She said, 
She would share this with her daughter as she was growing up. Bend over and touch your toes. If anything shows, go change your clothes. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to preach about this morning. Bend over and... <laughs> actually, the, actually, the message this morning was one that was submitted by Karen Pitts. And it was this. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. I think that's so apropos for, for believers, for Christians. It's not how you start. Really, it's not how you start in life. It's how you, it's how you finish. I know that Joy and I, we, many of you have heard our story of our marriage. It was not a good start. It's, it's, it's shaping up to be a much better finish. But I told her, I said, I need you to stay around the this, this whole time. I said, I found it in the scriptures. I will finish my course with joy. I said, so I... I so, so you need to stick. And so, but, but starting and, and, and finishing, and a lot of us can, can relate to that. My first start as a church was not very good. Uh, I'm grateful that the ark has, has been much better. So our, our first one was the complete flop and, and the second one. So I, I'm a real big believer in it. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. The apostle Paul, when he reached the end of his life, he summed up his life by three things. I thought they were very important. When he wrote to Timothy, who was very dear to him, in 2 Timothy, he said this. I'm, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure. He's talking about his death. He called it a departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I like how Paul gives us three things that, that he defined his life. And he said, he said, this is the end of my life. These are the three things that, I, that, that I'm highlighting. And I think they're powerful things because he didn't highlight the fact that he had been all over the world, that he had preached and, and really started churches all over the known world at that time. He didn't highlight the miracles that had taken place in his life. He didn't highlight all the things that he had visions and God did amazing things in his life. What he highlighted are three things that actually we can say ourselves, that all of us have the potential to say. First thing he said it was, I fought the good fight. The good fight. The good fight is not with your in-laws or people who disagree with you on social media. The fight is, is to keep gratitude in a world that's flowing the opposite way. It's to keep from being bitter when we see all this stuff going on around us. The good fight is to stay joyful in the midst of trials and difficulties. The good fight is to keep rejoicing even when you're crying through the tears. The good fight or there are things worth standing for and morals and values that are worth standing for, even though people are going, if you're going to fight the good fight, you will be going upstream. But it's a good fight, and it's a fight worth fighting. He said, I fought the good fight. He said, I've, I've, I've finished the race, which really speaks to the idea that all of us have a race to run. You may have been a surprise to your parents, but you were not a surprise to God. And he has a plan for your life. And it is a race. And it is a course. And the beautiful thing about it is you're not racing against me and I'm not racing against you. All of us have our own individual courses to run. And it speaks of having goals and having a purpose. But Paul said, I've I, I finished the race. See, all of us have the ability to say that. And then he said, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Man, that's our faith. Peter said, our faith is precious. It's a precious faith that we have that God is real that Jesus is real, that he's the son of God and we believe in him as savior and we follow him as a follower, a disciple of his. My pastor was John Osteen 
and uh, Joel's father, and, and I, he was my pastor for years. And toward the end of his life, he was battling with a sickness. And one night, then a dark night and a lot of pain, his son-in-law said, he said, Dad, he said, do you ever wonder where God is in this? And some of Pastor Osteen's very last words were, he rose up and said, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. I'll tell you something. All of us have the ability to say at the end of our life, I have kept my faith in God. I have kept my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are some wonderful rewards that come with that. Fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Potential for all of us. When I was eight years old, I was part of a, a group called Royal Ambassadors. Anybody know Royal Ambassadors, RAs? RAs were like a, they were like a, 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 a biblical-based Baptist Boy Scout. And we would go every, every year. The annual rite of passage was when you get to go on the, on the annual bike hike. And now, keeping in mind, this was in the 60s. And this was before people sued one another for various reasons. And before all of us had to wear helmets. And so we were on these bikes. They would drop us off on, on state-owned roads, kind of like a 1488. And we would travel, depending on our age, we would ride our bikes for miles to this camp where we would spend the night and eat, you know, junk food and s'mores and have just a wonderful time. But the bike hike was part of it. And there were some hills there. I, I realize that very few of you recognize what hills are, but there were real hills there. Kind of like that one on 105, you know, the one that's right near Wedgwood that goes down. That's pff, nothing compared to these hills. They, these, we had hills and it was a tough bike hike. And so I'm eight years old. I'm on my little Schwinn Stingray bike. And uh, I, man, I made a wrong turn and I bit the dust and uh, hurt my knee and I'm bleeding. And about that time, the, 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 truck that was carrying all the bikes that got us to the place where they dropped us off, the truck pulled up and someone looked at me and said, Alan, do you want to, do you want to ride in? I was, I was like a mile from the finish. He said, do you want to ride in? And something in me said, no, but something else said, yes. <laughs> and I loaded my bike onto the truck and I, I sat on the back of the truck and I kind of waved to the other people as they finished the ride. When we got to the camp, one of our family's best friends, he was almost like a second father. He came over to me, he said, Alan said, he said, I saw you on the truck. Did you not finish? And I said, no, I, I, I fell and scraped my knee. And I remember he looked at me. He was very disappointed. He said, I kind of hoped that you would, uh, you would have finished that, that race. He wasn't trying to hurt me. He wasn't trying to belittle me. But he was a man who had been a Korean War vet. And he knew that, that I in life would face adversity. And he was hoping that at eight years old, I'd start learning that lesson, that you have to finish the race. You know, it's interesting, but I still remember that experience. And I remember how it was not to finish. And then I, even to this day, I, I remember as I was looking at him, and I didn't feel any remorse at him. I felt remorse that I didn't finish the race. You know, it, it wasn't a great start for an eight-year-old boy. But it's not how you start. It's how you finish. There's a guy in the Bible who had one of the worst starts ever. I mean ever. His name was Manasseh. He was the son of a, of a wonderful king in Judah called Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king who, when he came in, he actually changed the whole landscape for the course for the nation of Judah. He brought back temple worship. He cleared the temple out. They had a revival under Hezekiah. And when Hezekiah died, his son Manasseh became king, and he was a horrible king. Let's look at what happened. 
Manasseh was 12 years old, he became king. That's part of his problem. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Now, I'm just going to give you, I won't take the time to read it this morning. I'll give you a laundry list. He tore down, he tore down the, the altars that his, his father had built to the Lord, and he began to replace them all over the country with altars to Baal and to foreign gods. Could you imagine coming out in your backyard and, you're, and, you're, and you see a construction crew and you're going, what are you doing? Well, we're building an altar to Baal here. Well, I thought we tore those down. Yeah, the king said, we're going to put some more up. And they put altars to Baal all over the place. He built, he built altars to the host of heaven, which basically are the stars and the constellations that the Assyrians worshipped. He even put an idol right in the middle of the temple, right where God said it was his holy place. He put an idol to a foreign god right smack in the middle of it. But he's not done. He also caused his children, his sons, to pass through fire. That was a heathen practice where they, to show their devotion to their gods, would cause their children to pass through fire. We would call that child abuse today. He, con he consulted with, with uh, spirit mediums and spiritualists. He practiced witchcraft and sorcery. I mean, this guy was, he's talking about a bad king. They said he was worse than the pagan nations that the Lord had moved out of the, the land. It was a horrible king. And then he seduced other people. His influence caused him to seduce the whole nation of Judah, and they followed after him. The Lord was not happy, but you're going to see the mercy of God here. Look what happened. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, carried him off to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord, this is Manasseh, he implored the Lord his God, or asked the Lord, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he, God, received his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Well, I guess. And he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. That's not how you start. It's how you finish. Manasseh had done all these horrible things. In fact, the Bible, if you read that whole chapter, I've condensed it for you, but the Bible said he made the Lord angry. And yet the Lord still sent people to talk to him. Even when he's doing all this stuff, he's still trying to warn him, still trying to help him. Manasseh wouldn't listen. The people wouldn't listen. And so he wound up. They said the Babylonians came, Syrians came, and they said they, they, they put a hook. If you read that, it means nose hook. Way before piercings became popular, they put a, pier they put a, a hook in his nose and attached chains to it and led him off captive into Babylon. Boy, you talk about falling from, from a position of authority. Now he's a captive, he's got chains, but when he's there, the Bible said that Manasseh did something that's really amazing. He said he humbled himself greatly before God. What do you mean? How did he humble himself greatly? He's already in a bad position. But what he said was, 
God, I'm wrong. I missed it. I, I made a mistake. He, he implored the Lord. He asked the Lord for his help. He had to ask for forgiveness. He had to own what he did. And he humbled himself in such a way that God heard his prayer. I mean, you're, you're thinking if anybody is a lost cause, it's Manasseh. God heard his prayer. God got him out of that Babylonian prison and actually restored him to his kingdom. Guys, right there tells me that's a reason right there that we can, we can pray and we need to pray for our leaders. Because if God can get Manasseh out of a Babylonian prison, he can still work in our leaders today. That's why we need to pray. And the, and the Bible said something I thought pretty profound. And Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. <laughs> right. Manasseh sitting back, all of a sudden he's looking back. He's wearing good clothes. He's got that hook out of his nose. He's not bound in chains anymore. He's looking around and this man had the wisdom to go, boy, I didn't do this myself. This wasn't good luck. God, I want to thank you. I want to acknowledge you. And then Manasseh did something I thought was really, really good. He followed up. He acted like God was God. He started going out and he, he sent the construction crews. He said, all those altars you built, tear them down. And he tore them all down. He took that altar, that idol to, to a foreign God, took it out of the temple. And then he began to build altars to God. And then he began to offer sacrifices of peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And then he put out a, a decree for the whole nation. We're going to serve God. Everyone's going to serve God. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. This guy finished strong and God was merciful to him and God helped him. And if God can do that for him, God can do that for you as well. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. You say, well, how do I, how do I finish strong? Well, here's the key. To finish strong, you've got to be strong. And to be, and to be strong, let me give you some, just some tips, some things that will help you. It, in, in finishing our race, all of us have a race to run. Learn to make small adjustments. In other words, don't wait till you hit the wall before you adjust. Any of you ever ride with somebody that does not know how to drive? I mean, they're always just like, oh, that's where I need to be. And they whip over. They're like, what are you doing? Or there's like, oh, I need to go there. And they slam on brakes. It's like, you ever, don't look, don't poke at anybody. Don't look at anybody. Just look, just look straight ahead. I, I, man, we've all, in fact, I was, I was riding down the road the other day and it seemed like everyone just lined up. Ever seen people just line up? All four lanes on 45, they lined up. And, never, and they're all going slow. So I'm in my personal lane. The left lane, and finally I get the car in the left lane to move. I didn't. I, I was so tempted to use that that contraflow lane, that that high occupancy lane, but I didn't do it. You'd have been proud of me. I just tailgated the guy in front till he got over. And when he got over, I sped up and got way ahead, and then crossed four lines, four lanes of traffic to make the exit. I thought to myself when I was doing it, this is not good. This is not. If you had seen me, you would not have gone, well, there's my pastor right there. Bless, <laughs> bless his heart. That's not good. You, no, you, you don't have to do that. You make, you make adjustments, ahead. small adjustments, not big adjustments. See, this is one of the, the great values of having a relationship with the Lord. He'll help you make small. You don't have to wait till you hit the wall, till you hit the wall, till you hit the wall. You can make small adjustments. You won't hit the wall. 
You know, one of the beautiful things about reading God's word is it'll help you make those adjustments. Look what it says in, in Hebrews. It said, the word of God is living, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, you, you begin to read God's word, and what'll happen is the Lord will help you make small adjustments. He'll just kind of whisper to you. I was just this past week, I was reading, and, and, and the Lord spoke two things to me that I need to do. He said, well, what are, I'm not going to tell you. But, but they were small adjustments. They just simply needed to be done. It's like looking in a mirror. You know, if you don't look in the mirror for two weeks, you, you could wind up looking real unusual. You know, we have, we have mirrors back here. True story. I stood up here one Sunday morning a few years ago. Joy and I did the welcome. We went back to the, we went back, to the back. And we had a real sweet little lady named Shirley Warnock. Shirley's like in her 80s. Tiny little lady, just full of life. But she stepped back and she said, would you tell pastor his zipper's down? <laughs> Look, can I tell you that's embarrassing? <laughs> to, don't check. I've already checked. I'm good. <laughs> See. See, I caught y'all looking. Y'all like, well, I don't know. <laughs> but, but the, hey, wouldn't it be a whole lot better if I just simply checked in the mirror ahead of time and made that small adjustment before I have to have a lady year old woman come back there and go, would you tell the pastor that his zipper is down? That's embarrassing. Learn, just learn to make small adjustments because you know what? The Lord still is shining. He's still trying to talk to us. He still speaks through his word. He still speaks to us by his spirit and we can make small adjustments. And those small adjustments, man, that help us keep us on track. Next thing we can learn, we can learn this from, we can learn this from uh, Manasseh. Stay humble. Stay humble. You know, corporate America right now is, is starting to find that leaders who are humble. You say, well, what's that look like? They're willing to admit they're not perfect. They're willing to give credit to other people. They're not, they're not, they're not all about themselves. They have goals beyond just themselves. They find those are the best leaders. Patagonia, maybe for me, the apparel company, when they interview job applicants, they actually follow up with how did the job applicants um, engage with the receptionist? And if they were self-absorbed or rude, they'll eliminate them because they're looking for humility. One of their questions, their interview questions is, tell me a time where you've messed up. Tell me a time where you've made a mistake. I had a pastor tell me one time, don't ever hire someone who hasn't been through the desert. What's he talking about? Don't ever hire someone, he said, whose life has been, you want somebody who's come through a tough time and been able to come out of it. And the ability to be able to come out of it is listen, when you miss it, own it. Just be willing to say, God, I missed it. Oh, I'm so sorry. Humility, I'm, I'm you know, it, it got just as quiet in the first service. Humility is not one of those subjects that people get real excited about. Oh, let's see, I hope Alan talks about humility today. I, I love that subject. And yet it's one of the most powerful things at our disposal. And I'll show you why. Peter wrote, Peter understood humility. He had to learn. He said, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Hey, listen, don't miss what happened to 
to Manasseh. The Bible said when Manasseh humbled himself and then he prayed and then God got him out. Sometimes it's just good to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm so sorry I missed it. I made a mistake. You humble yourself and then you pray and you know that God can still get you out. It said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, not that he might crush you, not that he might demean you, not that he might put you down, but that he might exalt you. In other words, he can pull you out of some things. Our God can still restore and he can still exalt. If he did it for Manasseh, he can do it for us. All it takes is his willingness to go, Lord, I'm sorry, I missed it. I'll tell you something too, that works in that works in marriages too. Yeah. I, I, I tell, I, I married a couple the other day, sweet looking couple on Friday, did one of my express weddings. And uh, I look at my, I always, always give marriage advice. Now, now I'm at the age I can give marriage advice. And uh, I've been married 39 years, I can give advice. So I, I look at, I look at people, I, I look at them and say, learn to say I'm sorry and say it a lot. And then I look at the man and say, especially you because you're always wrong. So, uh, <laughs> But even, even beyond tug-in-cheek, learn to say, I'm sorry. Just learn to say, I was wrong. You might want to practice that. <laughs> you might have to practice in the mirror. I, I was wrong. <laughs> it might be tough. But remember, the humble get grace. And how many of you know we could use a little bit more of God's grace in our lives? Here's the last one, this. Act like God is God. So what do you mean by that, Alan? Act like God is God. Well, Manasseh followed through. He knew the Lord had gotten him out. He treated God with great respect. He treated God like he was real. That's a good thing for us to do. Just treat God with respect. You know, I, um, Pastor Osteen, John Osteen, I, ref- I referenced him earlier. He was my pastor for years. And uh, when, I, when we started the ark, I'd ask him if I could have lunch with him. And I would ask periodically. And one, one day I got a call from his administrative assistant. She said, um, Pastor Osteen would like to have lunch with you. She named a, the date. She named the place. It was way down in the, in the Galleria area. I, and I didn't look at her and go, oh, that's too far. I don't, I don't want to drive down there. It was in the summertime. It's like, that's hot. And, and no, I didn't say, I said, when and where? I changed my schedule. I adjusted it. And when I showed up down there to, to have lunch with him, he's old school. He was old school. He's in heaven now. But he was old school. He was in a coat and tie, and so was I. I was in a coat and tie. Do you like wearing coat and ties in the summer in Houston? Not at all. But I did it out of respect for him because I loved him and I had respect for him. And I, and I made an adjustment because of that. I, he, he's a, he was a wonderful, I look forward to seeing him in heaven. Wonderful pastor. But you know what? I know someone who's even more wonderful than him. And that's our heavenly father. He is good. He's real. And the Bible said he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so when I say act like God is God, I mean, out of respect for him, I'm going to take away some of the things in my life that don't belong there. And I'm going to replace them with things that do. Not because I'm afraid God's going to hurt me. Not because I believe God's mad at me. It's because I love him and I have a respect for him. And he's still a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe he's real. I believe he's powerful. I believe he's worthy of respect. I believe he is the creator of heaven and earth. And he is my creator as well. And I can give him all the respect that I can. 
And simply by doing that, what are we doing? We're simply following Manasseh's example. Make adjustments to show humility. It's a good thing. And act like God's God. Act like he's real. Just respect. One of the things we can do is, and it said, you know, Manasseh built an altar where he offered peace and and thank offerings. I think one of the greatest things you, you can do personally in your own life is to make sure that every day you take time to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. You are good. Without you, I have no breath. Without you, I'm not here. You're the one that made me and not me myself. And it's an honoring and a worshiping of him. Well, those things, make sure that you finish strong. Not, not always, but I'll tell you something. All three of those will help. Because if we, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. In 1964, Sri Lanka sent uh, their contingent to the Olympics. The Olympics were in Tokyo. And when they sent them to Tokyo, one of them was a 10K runner. 10, 10K, 10,000 meters, about 6.2 miles. It's 25 laps. It's the longest race that they run on the track. 25 laps. Well, they had a, a, a runner, Sri Lanka had a runner whose name was, his first name, and I'm probably going to butcher it, was something like Rantunge. Rantunge was there. He was, he was their representative. And when the race started, he was not doing too well. They said he wasn't feeling well. And by the time the winner, who was an American by the name of Billy Mills, finished the 25 laps, Rantunge was four laps behind. He'd been lapped four times. And uh, he was so far behind. And the crowd actually was starting to laugh at him because he's struggling. The whole race is finished and they're waiting on this guy. And man, he's, he's still running and they're laughing. They're just, some are heckling him, but he keeps running. And he keeps running and he keeps running. And the crowd finally figured out, this man's gonna finish. And they begin to, to worship, not worship, they begin to, to, to cheer and, to, and to, to applaud. And when he finished, the crowd was on its feet, simply applauding his perseverance and not quitting. They talked to Rantunge after the, the race and they asked him about finishing. And he looked very candidly. He said, the Olympic spirit is not to win, but to compete. He said, I completed my rounds. That story so caught the attention and, and, the, and the imagination of the Japanese that it wound up in Japanese textbooks for children, teaching perseverance, teaching don't quit. How do you, how do you, it's not how you start, it's how do you finish, but how do you finish? One of the keys to finishing is you got to stay in the race. When Paul wrote, not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews, some think it's Paul. When he wrote to the Hebrew Christians who were undergoing intense persecution, hard persecution, he wrote them and he said, Guys, he said, run with endurance the race that's set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, before Jesus, endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your souls. What was he saying to these Hebrew Christians? He's saying, listen, don't, you've got to continue to run your race. You've got to continue to stay in the race. And just when you think about getting up, you need to remember what Jesus did, what he endured for us, what he endured for you, and the fact that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You may be slow, you may be behind, but you stay in it. Because if you stay in it, you can win it. And when you stand before him, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's all you need to hear. If you've been out, you can get back in. If you've never been in, 
This is a great day to start running. Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Please, no one leaving. We'll be out of here in just a moment. If you came and said, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I know that. He knows that. But I, I want that relationship with Him. Or maybe you're like I was. I had a relationship with God. I went so far away from Him. And you recognize that's you today. You want to come back. Maybe you're watching online and that's you. Either way, we're not going to have you stand up or we're not going to have you come down to the front, but we are going to say a prayer. And if that's you and you say, Alan, that's, man, that's me. I want to make sure I have a relationship with the Lord. Or I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me? I'm going to do that, but I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I'm going to ask you simply just to really quickly slip up your hand across this auditorium and say, Alan, that's me. I want to make sure that I'm right. I have a relationship with the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, got you. Anybody else? Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Wonderful. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You wanted to. Well, you can join us in this prayer. If you're watching online, if you're by yourself, pray it, pray it out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. We're going, to, we're going to pray it together. It's a church family. You can pray it with us. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Head still bowed and eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those who've come in and for those who've come home. We rejoice with them. And Father, for those of us here, thank you that you've equipped us and enabled us to run our race and that we can run it and stand before you to one day saying, thank you, Lord, I've finished strong. Thank you, you finished strong and you'll help us do the same. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.